0: Log Talk Radio. It's already done. It's,
1: it's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Handed So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time.
2: Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and my co-host for the month of August is licensed professional counselor supervisor, Shamika McPherson, who is the founder of Clear Vision Counseling, and Elder Shepard Drayton Jr., who is the missions pastor of New Refuge Church in Pawleys Island, South Carolina. Today, we're going to dive into the dynamics of grief and how we grieve. So, Let's get unpacked. I want to first start off by welcoming Shamika. Shamik, as we will call her on the show. And Shamika, I want to give you an opportunity to let the listeners know a little more about yourself. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Um, first off, Tyra, I want to thank you for inviting me uh, to engage this month on a very important topic for many of us and in our community and even others just outside of our community. Um, and uh, thank you, Elder Shepherd, for also joining in and giving a spiritual component. So I just want to give thanks out for you guys first. Um, uh, as Tyra said, my name is Shamiquia McPherson. Everyone calls me Shamique because uh, Shamiquia is kind of hard to pronounce. I am a native of Charleston, South Carolina. For many of you in South Carolina, you probably heard my accent, so you know I am from (laughs) the Lowcountry. For those who are not in South Carolina, you probably think I'm from Jamaica, but I'm not. (laughs) Uh, I grew up in Charleston and uh, moved away after I got married, been married for almost 25 years in October to Pastor Yancey McPherson. I began my journey to becoming a licensed counselor approximately uh, 10 years ago, and I have always had a passion for understanding why people do the things that they do, why they think the way that they think. So counseling uh, has been a natural progression for me in this field. It's something that I'm passionate about. I've seen uh, people inside and outside of my family deal with mental health-related issues, so I've always thought it was a very important thing to help others to cope and learn how to deal with. Um, I have my own practice. I've been in private practice for the last uh, five years, Clear Vision Counseling, located in downtown Columbia, South Carolina. And beyond being married to my wonderful husband, I am also uh The mother of Yancey McPherson Jr. and Kennedy Grace McPherson. All right, great. And as you said, your name will is it's a little difficult sometimes to pronounce because I just butchered it, <laughs> and I've been knowing you a couple I'm of years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Elder Drayton, um, welcome, welcome to the show. And Thank you. I, I would like for you to give opportunity to, to speak about yourself. Hmm.
1: Well, uh, Tyra, I want to thank you so much for um, having me on. I am really excited about the show, but most of all about Pressure Point Unpack what it's doing to the community and how it's bringing education and awareness to subject matters that we sometimes sleep under rugs and uh, push away from our emotions. Uh, Shameek, it is a pleasure to meet you uh, on this show. And I'm excited to hear all the good things that you're going to talk about and what we're going to discuss today. I am currently a missions pastor in Pauli's, Pawleys Island, South Carolina. I, too, am a Lowcountry fella. Um, my accent may not be as strong as Shamik's, uh, but it can get there, especially when I'm upset. Um, uh, I am married to... My wife, Andrea, for the past 32 years, um, we have two children. Uh, our eldest daughter was, the, was a victim of the post-nightclub shooting, so brief is a very um, familiar subject to me. As an outreach pastor, um, I was an outreach pastor in Columbia area for about 11 years. As an outreach pastor, I got to see, you know, the pain and the trauma that, uh, we go through in a community as it relates to grief and so I'm, I'm familiar with the road and I'm excited to hear some of the clinic the clinical parts of what we Experience in our community. So thank you so much uh, Tyra, for for doing this and for having me on
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you Well, let's get on y'all. So Shamik, can you give us a working definition of grief? Well, okay. So grief, grief is the normal process of reacting to a loss. Uh, if you notice, I said a loss, and I didn't mm-hmm. say death, because grief is more than just death. In many situations, the loss can be physical, like a death, but another component of a physical loss is the incarceration of a loved one, that brings about a grief process. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's also divorce is a social component of grief and loss. We can, you know, end a marriage or even a long friendship, and that brings about some grief symptoms and grief-like experiences. Also, we also have, like, uh, let's see, occupational loss. We can lose our job. Maybe we've been employed with the same company for 20-something years and they decide to close their doors. And we have to figure out where we're going to go in life. That also brings about some grief symptoms. And even when we have to battle chronic medical issues, that's a grief situation. You may have a diagnosis that limits you from doing some of the things that you had made plans to do in retirement or You know, you have to battle with a chronic illness like dementia with a loved one. That's also grief. Uh, We see veterans also have some grief components when they transition from being um, a military member, service member, into civilian life. We can also identify like that is a grief and loss situation because all these things are surrounding change that we feel like we cannot control or cope with too well. Mm-hmm. Wow, those are some really valid points, um, Shamik. And it's funny because you, as you were breaking down, you know, just giving the different examples of grief, um, you've hit my life. <laughs> I mean, in everything that you said, you have you actually hit my life. Um, and so I think it's, it's important that you, you know, mentioned. Grief. You explained it as not just being just death, because I think a lot of times that's what we normally think of. You know, grief. We always associate it with death. What, what would you say to that, Elder Chef? Would you think that I'm kind of spot on on that, or you had a different
0: take? I,
1: I, I believe you're spot on. Um, uh, one that, one that I would like to add to it um, is, you know, one of the one thing that we as a community are very familiar with this church and hmm. some of us put a lot of time and even years in our tenure with where we decide to worship and if we transition or when we transition from one place to another sometimes there's a grief associated with that we we wow. often call it church hurt uh we we call it different things and and, and we uh even give excuses to it that maybe we outgrew a particular place or what have you but there's a feeling that a lot of us get when we transition from one place to another depending on how long you spent there almost like losing a job and um, and I don't I don't know if we really realize the physical emotions that is associated with that and some of the physical components that go along with that we always categorize it and put it into a spiritual component but there are some other components to it that i believe that are variables that affect us.
2: Wow. that's that's good. I, I never would have even associated um church hurt is with with what we always call in our community as grief but man that's that's yeah that's absolutely right. Um wow. Have you ever that thought is about very that? That's cool. true. Yeah. yeah. Wow! I, I didn't until he said it. That is that is an awesome explanation. I personally have experienced that, being that my husband was in the military, and we've moved to different places, and we have transitioned from different places of worship. Um, that That is something that I have personally experienced, and you know uh, church is a church is a strange bedfellow, <laughs> so to speak, because you come yeah. into contact with so many people, and your experiences can be varied, and there can be situations where there's disagreements and friendships are lost, positions are lost, and different things of that nature. So yes, that is definitely on the list. Wow, 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 wow. Um, woo. Well, Shamik, let me ask you a question. Um, because I know just even in my studies um in the field of one of the fields of, of massage therapy, you know, we talk about grief. Um, we deal with how we can assist people in grief through massage therapy. Um, but in that and in, in, you know, going through all of the, the aspects of stuff, we we had to deal with the stages of grief. So if you would, um, I would like to kind of discuss that a little bit, the different stages of grief. Okay, yeah. You you know, initially when we, you know, research and science is ever evolving, right? So when they started to process and kind of flesh out what grief looks like for many people, it was first thought that, okay, there's five stages of grief uh, and you go through this stage, then you go through this stage and this stage. Um, so grief initially was, you know, it, the stages varied. First, there was denial where um, many people feel like uh, it, it's normal to think this is not happening. You feel shocked, you're numb. It's a defense mechanism that you kind of tell yourself that, oh, that did not happen. That person did not die. You're not telling the <laughs> truth. Uh, that's the denial process of of grief. Then uh, people can transition into anger. I think we see this a lot in uh, communities of color, specifically African the African American community. <laughs> when you have to take the time out to go to the nursing home and, and, and not nursing home I'm sorry funeral home and you find uh this casket and that casket there are sometimes arguments in that space and um i often tell people that are that are going through the process don't take anything that a loved one says to you at this point in time personal because they will be in a position where they will project their anger on whoever is available, mm-hmm. and that anger is a part of the grief. It is not necessarily a personal attack at that time. So anger is one of those things that presents itself while we are grieving, and not only do people sometimes become frustrated with uh their loved ones who are left behind through the process of grieving, they can also... Um, become frustrated with the higher power. They they question God or whoever they serve. Why did you do this? You know they begin to question God, especially if it was a very difficult traumatic situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you also have sometimes where people project their anger on the person that died. Uh, if they weren't drinking and driving, they would have been here. You know you project your anger, and then there's the bargaining stage of you know what could have could I have done to prevent this. Um, if only, or what if I had done this? This will have done this. This would not have happened. And some people will—they will bargain with God and say, "I will change my life if I could wake up tomorrow and this was just a bad dream." So they mm. go through the bargaining stage. Then there's the depression, the sadness, the crying, can't sleep at night, the insomnia, the hypersomnia. The loss of appetite, the isolation, the overwhelming feelings, the regret and loneliness, that's the depression. And then there's the acceptance phase, which is, you know, your final can be the final stages where you accept accept the reality of your loss and you accept that it can't be changed. Although you may feel sad, you're able to move forward with your life. And you know that's when you begin to accept it now, remember the stages have no order or no defined timeline, so you can cycle back to a stage that you've already been in You may be in acceptance right now, but that doesn't mean that you may not cycle back to anger or bargaining with right. God or depression. It kind of flows i I always say it's like a wave it's it's you never know what's gonna come at you mhm and And I think it's really valid that you mentioned um that it doesn't have an order in that how the order can go back and forth. And so, um, I know just for me, from my personal experiences, um, and the loss of a loved one. Um, and now that, you know, you've made some other, both, both of you have made some other very valid points of just different types of, um, how grief doesn't always have to be a person. Um, You really got me, you know, thinking about a lot of things, but um, you do transfer back and forth from those stages. And I think for me, one of, I would say, I don't know if I want to call it a benefit. Well, I think that because of instantly jumping into counseling, I think it has helped as far as giving me tools to put in a toolbox. You know, so when I see myself falling in these stages, because as one thing for sure is that grief is a lifelong process. It's a process. And I think sometimes you have um, the church, you have different friends or family that may not have experienced the, the grief that you have from a loss of a loved one because each each relationship is different. So whenever you experience grief, say, with a, a loss of a loved one, it's always that relationship is different and so is going to affect you differently. And so, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you have people that feel like, Oh, well, you should be over that by now. I mean, didn't that happen a year ago or three years ago or four? You know, um it's it's the in and, and then the insensitive parts of it. But what I can say is that jumping into counseling, it helped to give me a tool that when I can see myself going down this way, okay, well now you learned this in counseling, so you may pull this out. Now, that's not to say that instantly I'm going to snap out of where I'm at or what's going on. I still got to deal with that point and with that process. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I can truly say, one of the things that was very beneficial to me was um Elder Shell, you pointed out something to me that was so powerful. I remember coming in one day, and you asked me how I was doing, and I said I felt crazy. (laughs) And um, you was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And you explained to me that I'm three parts, and all parts of me were grieving at that time. And so for me, it began to help me identify when I had that mixed feeling, but you, you also helped me assess as to which part, you know, was actually grieving at that time. And I, I don't know if you remember that, but I was able to use that formula to apply it to everything that has happened in my life since.
0: Mm, um, yeah, yeah. It, it,
2: that was just powerful. I just, I, my God, I just think that just that statement alone was so powerful and it helped me during the days when life became so overwhelming that I could go back and always assess I, I, I could always go back and assess that and so um, powerful tool and I would love if you could kind of explain that for the listeners because someone else may be at that process and not understanding why they feel crazy at this given time or it may happen to them tomorrow but to me, I thought that was a very powerful tool, and I pray that it will help someone else.
1: I, I do remember that, Tyra. I, I remember um, that, that, uh, that day, specifically that day where we were and how it all unfolded. Um, you know, when Shamik was talking, I really began to see just how ill-equipped we are as a church. And you mentioned that sometimes people say, you're still going through that. I mean, it's been some time. You're not over it yet. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and this is usually from close people we know, friends or church members or people that we've associated with. And I was thinking, man, how good, uh, how great would it be for folk to just understand these stages and understand that there's no time limit on it it, and that Mm – one could go from one to another at any given time, and what they say may not really be from their heart, but from their emotions, all the above. But that day in particular, um, when we were talking, I said to you that we're three parts. We learn in church, we learn that we're three parts. We're spirit, soul, and body. And oftentimes, when we go through a traumatic experience, we are very unbalanced, you know. So we we push the spiritual side um, to the front, and the the physical and the soulless realm of who we are is left in the shadows. And when and 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 that's good in some cases, but it takes balance because sometimes you know we often hear we we don't grieve like those who have no hope. You know what does that really what does that really mean? We still grieve and. Um, and a lot of times we're led by the spirit, but the physical and the soul is in close proximity. And we put the, we put the word of God on our issue, and that's, it's good to do that. And we, we, we speak very spiritual about, you know, what we think we should say, but we don't really have balance on what we're really going through because we lack the education of what we really need to know to fight our battles. And so uh, that day, I said, I believe I said, because you're, I mean, that you are spirit, soul, and body, I knew and I've, uh, in talking to you, there were highs and lows. The highs are when we quote the scripture and we quote the word of God and we believe, you know, what the word says. And then the lows come because the emotions, the soulless realm, you know. Mm-hmm. In the soulless the realm, there are ties to people that we – and they're not all bad. There are ties right. to people that we're never going to get rid of. If I ask you or anybody that's listening, do you remember your first girlfriend or boyfriend, you're going to say, yeah. And that's because <laughs> that is, is going to be in, your, in the soulless realm of your existence for all your life. But if, if you look in the mirror, you do not look the way you used to look. That's the physical part of you that's changing. And mm-hmm. then there's a spiritual component to you where you're talking or somebody's talking and you get goosebumps because of the spirit of the Lord or the presence of a higher power, whatever you believe is there, um, that's the spiritual component of you. And the categories of what our emotions and what we go through are all are, are sometimes in specific categories of life, you know, um, and, and, and I think that's sometimes overlooked in the Greeks process. Mm-hmm, or in the mm-hmm. education process of what we're going through.
2: Yes, yeah. you know, yeah. to to, to, pick, to piggyback on what uh, Elder uh, uh, Shepherd said, you know that that's a very true experience for many people within the spiritual community. Openly grieving mm-hmm. is a challenge because our spiritual beliefs right. uh, drives home the thought that God. Um, you know, or whomever you serve, because, you know, I'm I'm going to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody's a Christian, but we we live on the idea that God does not make mistakes, right? And so Mm -hmm. when someone passes away, we often say things like that. God does not make mistakes. And if you are in a place where you are going through any stage of grief where you are having trouble accepting or you are angry at God, it can make you feel embarrassed or ashamed because mm-hmm. you are, just like Elder Shepherd said, um, you will hear, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. So then right. you begin to question, why am I like this? Am I less right. spiritual because this is impacting me?
0: But, mm-hmm. you know, I
2: think that we have to do a better job in our faith communities to mm-hmm. not only give a better understanding of just grief in general. But we have to do a better job of accepting and understanding that God has made us as complex creatures. And when he Mm -hmm. made us as complex creatures, Mm -hmm. there are parts of us that, you know, control certain parts of us, your sleep is controlled in your brain. You know what I mean? So if you can't sleep, because because of this, it's not because you don't want to, your brain is doing something. And that's right. a lot, that has a lot to do with a lot of mental health-related issues. We mm-hmm. tend to shy away from talking about mental health and grief and trauma and all these things in our spiritual communities because it doesn't play to the idea that God doesn't make mistakes and I should always have hope on my side because you, right. the reality is you can have hope on your side. And you can also walk into a therapist's office and process everything that's going through your mind. That's right. That's right. And and I will even bring another piece to that. Um, Looking at healing, and and people are making the statement, especially with the spiritual community, where we'll say healed, E.D. Now, and they will give you scriptures. But there was a conversation that I had to have. And I said, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I don't agree with the part of healed with the ED. And my reason being is this. If
0: I chop your arm off
2: today or tomorrow and you begin to feel like that arm is there, your arm is never going to grow back, right? But, you are, but you're going to have those feelings. Um, Are, are you healed? I believe in a healing process because grief is a lifelong process. So I think a lot of times, you know, the faith community will make people feel like, oh, well you ain't trusting God because you shouldn't still be there. To who? What, what What does that mean that the person shouldn't still be at that point in their life? And who are, who are you to judge? What, what standards are we using to measure this? And so, you know, I want, I, I agree. It gives, um, it makes it hard for people to deal with the process, you know. Um, we we definitely have to do a better job. And Elder up, if you you know if you definitely if you think I'm I'm wrong with how I was explaining like the healing or the the with the ED on it, I mean, please you know definitely you you know can see something. But that's just how I feel when it comes to that.
1: Right, uh, Tyra, I um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I do believe that we need to do a better job in the faith community. I would love to see pastors um, give shout out to all the clin- clinicians that are in the congregation and openly talk about getting counsel. It's such a taboo subject in our community. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and um, it, do- it doesn't need to be, and it shouldn't be. You know, Ephesians talks about how we are fitly joined together, each joint supplying. And there is there's a clinical side, a clinical approach To our healing and to our deliverance so to speak that we as a church community need to embrace and help to um, pull down the strongholds that are in the minds of people who feel like if I go talk to someone I'm uh, you know I'm being crazy or what have you Uh, and I and I think that education and even how you deal with someone that's grieving and how you recognize your friend that has lost a job, gotten a divorce or whatever the case may be, how you deal with them, because those emotions are real. And if you understand, if you're educated on how to deal with them, uh, it, it's, it's better for our community. Um, you, you're a better friend. And I think a lot of times what I've noticed is sometimes from the spiritual side, we need to recognize that um, some of us may be a little bit hyper-religious <laughs> and mm-hmm. that if we're going through something, sometimes that uh, that we, we throw every armor we have through the rim of the spirit and sometimes it delays the effect that the person is going to feel. And so you'll see a person who's standing strong month one, week one, month one, uh, month two, month three, and then all of a sudden they're at the bottom of the barrel and mm-hmm. it's because they it had a they had a spiritual stand and they didn't see the blind side of the physical reality because of you know of of their proclamations and their declarations and mm-hmm. the reality of it is you're you, you you're going to go through grief and grief have these stages and so i think that we need to as a church as a church community begin to open the doors if you want to have some conferences have some conferences about some um uh clinical things that are that are wrong in our community. Right.
2: Right. A- absolutely. And you know, um that was one of the things that I really um congratulated um Pastor McCallum on because at his church, like he has a mental health, um, like a ministry, a counseling ministry, and he didn't use not one person that was actually, it's not the deacons, it's not, you know, the other associate Mm -hmm. ministers. He actually Mm -hmm. got licensed professional counselors um, to assist the congregation in this because he understood that the need is great in our community and it's time out for you know, the whole taboo behind counseling and because you go to counseling, it doesn't, you know, you you must don't have faith or you don't believe in God. He knew it was, it's, it's time out for that. Um, and so just like I said, that's one thing I definitely congratulate him on. Um, Want to let the listeners know, you can call in if you like. We're here at, you can reach us at 914-205-5361. This is a perfect place for us to take a break um, and when we come back, we're going to deal with the types of grief. So this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and we're going to take a commercial break.
0: Your skin isn't just skin. It's a beautiful reflection
2: of every single thing you've been through in life, which is why Dove Body Wash renews your skin's ceramides and strengthens it against
0: dryness. For instantly softer, smoother skin, you can lovingly embrace. Renew the love for your skin with Dove Body Wash.
2: And welcome back to Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little. And today we're talking about the dynamics of grief and how we grieve. So um, before we went on break, I mentioned that we were going to come back talking about the type of grief types of grief. So, Shameek, you know, I had a a session and I was speaking um, with the counselor and, you know, I was talking about because for those of you who may or may not know, um, you know, we're dealing with some dementia health issues with my mother. Um, And just going through that, just seeing how um, in each stage development of that, there there's a loss. I did not understand that at the time. Um and the one thing that the, the counselor explained to me is a lot of times he said that what we're waiting for is the other shoe to drop in order to begin the grieving process. But we're grieving every time we go and see our loved one and a little more and more of them is gone. And that was so powerful and interesting to me. Um because I, I never would have realized, I never would have thought about it as being, um, you know, that I was actually dealing with the grieving process already. So yeah. I, I want you to yeah. kind of go through those the the those the types of grief for us. Okay, so some there there are a couple of different types of grief, and what you just described was anticipatory grief. Uh, that's the expectation of the grief process of the loss right? Um, mm-hmm. We can see that in a number of different areas. Just like you said, um, you have a, a person in your family that has dementia. So when we, when we go through that process of they can't remember us or they're being repetitive in their conversation, that brings about a certain level of sadness that I am losing this person um, in a way that is not physical, but I'm still losing them, so that's the anticipation of this is happening to me, and I am going to have to really be pushed into this grief process because the signs are there. Uh, mm-hmm. You can have anticipatory grief when you are you are given a a medical diagnosis like cancer, like maybe they they tell you okay it's stage four cancer, and there's nothing that we can do, and um, you know we're we're just going to go ahead and try to keep the person comfortable. That's you're anticipating. This is what's going to to happen, or any other debilitating um, diseases like um, MS or ALS. You know those ones that just kind of break down the body. You're sitting in anticipation and expectation of that loss. Um, mm-hmm. When you start the process of a divorce, that is anticipatory grief. You can you can grieve in advance. Um, another type of grief is delayed grief. I often have times people will come into treatment and they'll say, this just kind of hit me all of a sudden, um, and I am grieving the loss of this person. And so when we start to pick apart, okay, so what happened or, you know, what situation happened that is causing you to grieve, they may say something like, oh, well, my father passed away five years ago. And I'll ask them, so, you know, when your father passed away, what was that like? What was the grief process like? Did you um, attend treatment or anything like that? Was it necessary? And they'll say, oh, no, I just kind of picked up and went along with it. And then they said, but when my aunt passed away a week ago, I cannot recover from this. And it's like, okay, so that's delayed grief, because we can sometimes avoid the process of grief by just becoming too busy with life. And so when we experience it more than one time, that and then it may hit us a little bit later than right when the first person passed away. Uh, There's also people who don't exhibit any grief symptoms at all. Some people deal well with the loss of anything. And that could be a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. but there are some people who just don't have grief symptoms through big life losses and changes. And then we we see this a lot in our community and it's in part because of some of the spiritual components that we previously discussed, where people experience inhibited grief, where they they suppress the experience of grief because um I cannot I shouldn't be grieving because I'm a spiritual person right they suppress it because you know it just does not fit the time frame of what is going on in my life i have no time mm-hmm. set aside to grieve this particular loss i can't just stay in my bed all day i have to keep going and i see this a lot with african americans we we struggle we are accepting of loss but we struggle with the emotional components of loss we are not very open Emotionally, I have experienced so many situations where people will tell me I can't cry. And I'm like, well, why? Like, you can't cry? And it's like, no, I, I don't cry. It's a weakness. So some people, they really suppress the process of grief because they see it as I'm being weak and I have to be strong. I'm too strong for this. And, um, and then we have disenfranchised grief. Now, when, when I think disenfranchised, this probably brings up some kind of things in people mind, people's minds. But think about, first, a parent who may not have been present in a person's life, right? So mm-hmm. you have maybe a father or a mother who was absent, and then all of a sudden they pass away. And you grapple with the idea of whether or not they are worthy of you mourning or grieving them, because of the circumstances of your personal relationship. Nice. Um, one situation that kind of like really, when I was putting together all these points for everyone, one situation came up and I was like, wow, I didn't really, you know, this wasn't in the forefront of my mind in, in, in uh, laying this stuff out. But look at the George Floyd situation. Last May, Many uh, many people watched that video of him being murdered. We can say that now because the trial is over. Many people watch that video. And when you think of the trauma of what African Americans have experienced um, in this country, uh, it's chronic trauma because it's repetitive. You know, it, it's ongoing. It's cultural trauma because it's based on our race. And then there's the complexity of it where um, it has long-term effects. So many of us grieved that loss like Mr. Floyd was our brother, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a grief because, like, I feel like my safety is slipping away. The safety of my husbands and my sons are slipping away and my nephew. So I got to grieve this particular person. But then on the other side of that grief, you had a number of people that were saying, how do you grieve someone? He was a criminal. He was a drug addict. He was this or he was that. So that is disenfranchised grief where people try to minimize the worthiness of the mourning or process of the loss of that in that situation. Or maybe you had a spouse cheated on you and, you know, you're going through the divorce and someone says, well, he was cheating on you anyway, but you get, you still get to mourn that. You still get to, it's a loss, it's disenfranchised grief.
1: Right.
2: When I hear people say stuff like that instantly for me, I'm like, my God, do you have a heart? (laughs) Because that is still a loss of human life. That is a person. So regardless of what their life was before, regardless of what they've done, you know, it it amazes me. Because I'm like, God forbid if something happened to you, because that same grace and mercy that you want to be extended to you, man, you better start extending it to other people. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Ella chef, it sounded like you had something you were getting ready to say.
1: Um, uh, I had a quick question, I guess, for Shamik. Uh, Tyra, you had mentioned your mom. Mm-hmm. I'm in my 50s and so are most of my classmates and friends. And the anticipatory grief, can that produce or... Um, the stages of grief: the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression. All of those stages can that can that be a factor in someone's life, uh, like my age? If you're worrying about a parent, that type thing. Uh, could those mm-hmm. stages of grief reproduce in the anticipatory? Anticipatory. Uh, um, I know there's a fear sometimes associated with it. Can mm-hmm. all those stages be reproduced are uh, produced?
2: Yes, definitely. Like you know, if we if we were to to give grief, um, like if we were to have a picture of grief, <clears throat> picture an onion, right? And so mm-hmm. you got different layers to an onion, and when you peel it apart, you see each piece. So maybe like if we if we looked at that onion, the the stages are one layer, and then you know the the type is another layer. So when it comes to anticipatory grief, yes, you definitely can experience every stage of, Mm. of, you know, Mm. what grief looks like because, Mm -hmm. you know, you you have to get to the place of accepting. Um, I think it it becomes very, it it becomes plain when there's like a significant change, like maybe a classmate passes away Mm -hmm. and it hits Mm -hmm. you really hard and you're like, wow. This you know this person passed away and you you begin to say oh but but I'm healthy you know um you know the, 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 I'm healthy I'm fine but then you become angry when the doctor tells you oh you know Mr. Drayton you have to uh, minimize your salt intake and you become right. angry what do you mean you know and we respond based on a number of different things that go on in our life every day but the thing that we have to do is always be in a position to examine how we're feeling it and why we're feeling it. Um, In the anticipatory grief, I remember when I first learned, uh, like, anticipatory grief, it took me back to a time where um, my grandmother um, was getting older. And I look at that period of time and even, you know, after she passed away, and I can say that I was probably in an anticipatory grief stage because I did not want to believe that she was aging the way that she was aging. I did not want to believe that she couldn't do the things that she did, that I saw her doing my whole life. So I would tell her, oh, I used to call it just mama. Mama, you can do that. Okay, mama, you could do this. Come on, mama, let's do this. You know, come on, come on, mama, get up out the chair. Because I was in denial about She's aging and I am in the process of grieving the loss because she's getting older. You know? So and Mm -hmm. and I had to I had to be aware and examine myself and that's something that we always should do. Like just check in with yourself. This is how I'm feeling and every emotion is a necessary emotion. It's what you do with it. Why am I feeling this way? You know, this is what I'm feeling, and why am I feeling this way? And be accepting of it. But you you definitely can experience every stage of grief in the anticipatory stage or even in the delayed grief stage, disenfranchised stage. I mean, when it comes to the disenfranchised grief in the George Floyd situation, we saw so much anger, but it's understood, mm-hmm. right? It had its place. It had its moment. So, Yeah. Wow. Um, I have a question for you, um, Shamik. Can you tell me what what does what does grief look like? Like if I, you know, you have different friends that you talk to from time to time and you're dealing with things or you may notice that something is different or they, they sound different. Um, what what does grief look like? Because I think that's really important to be able to identify it in yourself as well as in others so that you can begin to help a friend you know because sometimes we we could be dealing with things and don't even realize whoa that's a form of grief but when you're letting someone know what's going on with you and you're just talking and the person says i think you're dealing with some grief what can you give us some examples well of of course there's the depression right um Mm -hmm. there's the uncontrollable tears and sadness. And and one thing I want you to understand is, like, you know, we can transition from just basic grief to what we call complex grief, where it means – I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. complicated grief, where it's been going on for a very long time. But it's, it's the depression part where there's uncontrollable tears, there's sadness, there's feelings of hopelessness. Maybe the person no longer gets out of bed, Or maybe uh, they get out of bed, but they don't take care of their personal needs. Um, They're not eating. They're isolating. They're not socializing. Those are very common uh, symptoms. But Mm -hmm. then when we get to the other side of it, like, remember, we talk a lot about the stage of anger for grief, the periods of anger. Uh, Mm -hmm. are often present. People lash out and uh, there's a certain level of irritability. In in normal situations, they can be just extremely irritable. Uh, There's also difficulty concentrating uh, because I I just cannot focus to go to work today. So I'm not going to go to work today. Then there's also people becoming worrisome or anxious. I think we've seen a lot of that with the COVID-19 uh, situation when you think of it uh, we have done a whole bunch of breathing in the last year and a half you know normally <laughs> um, you know statistics show that on average 2.5 million people die in the US annually Like some research that was done by uh, journalists uh, and behavioral health specialist Erica Crow and says you know older people typically experience grief at higher rates than younger adults because they are experiencing a lot of spousal loss, changes in life, retirement, things of that nature, and death of their friends, siblings, and cousins, things change. So, you know, and each grieving person, each person that passes away will leave behind about five grieving people. But think about the last year and a half and what we've experienced with COVID. Like, this isn't just an older adult experience when we really, when we were really beginning to examine it within the last year and a half. This is a young children experience. We have children who have lost teachers. We have children who have lost coaches. We have young adults who have lost friends. We have young adults who have lost older loved ones. So, like, I think our grief situation is actually magnified right now because of COVID. And so the anxiety has been heightened the worry has been heightened you know uh the delta variant we thought we were in the in a phase where okay we're shifting a little bit and now we're seeing a resurgence so there's that anxiety that kind of comes up and it's also a part of our grief process right we got a caller hold on one second i want to bring them in caller Hi. 8252
0: Yes, I have a question about, um, let me see if I can phrase this correctly, like how we view um, death and immortality in the African-American communities. It's almost like we can't accept the fact that people are actually dying. Um, And when you talk to some of your loved ones who are elderly, um, a lot of times there are no arrangements in place. Um, you know they don't want to talk about the fact that they are going to die. To hear from a therapeutic perspective, um, Shamik, what that, what we call that, and why that is, because it's almost like we expect that everybody's going to live forever. And I heard you talking mm-hmm. about you know something similar with your grandmother. But a lot of times I've seen in you know in white Caucasian communities where when the person dies, everything is in order. Um, you know, the, the kids know exactly what to do. Uh, of course, that's not always the case, but I've certainly seen that. But we're in our communities, like everybody's scrambling, trying to figure out, like, how to, you know, make arrangements. And it's almost like we didn't expect, and mama been sick for 20 years, but we didn't expect mama to die kind of thing. So I would be interested to hear your perspective on that.
2: Well, you know, what you what you just described was something that happens in our community all the time. And believe it or not, I actually deal with this a lot with my clients who are caring for elderly um family members. Um I kind of picked up this habit of, of addressing it when I worked with um the Emmanuel Nine families because we did a series with uh some of the seniors there and we had some people come out and talk about having a living will and having a will in place in case, you know, certain things happen. And I think that we do sometimes, we, we are in denial about that, that's that stage of denial, and we are not really engaging the fact that, you know, this person is transitioning. We begin to take on a faith walk. You know, like, oh, she's going to be fine. She, she, she's 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 going to be fine. It's just like, okay, I understand that that hope is there, but what do you plan for? So a lot of times when I have uh, clients who come in and they, they are caring for aging family members or a family member who's been diagnosed with something that's chronic or debilitating, I often say to them, so what is your family plan? Does this family member have a living will? And, you know, do they have a will? And a lot of times my clients will look at me like, well, why is that important? And I said, well, I want you to think about the dynamics of your family. And are you all going to be on the same page if you have to make a determination of pulling the plug, so to speak? And they immediately like, oh, no, we No, we we probably could never get on the same page. And I always explain to them that if you have these things in place and you you are, first of all, honoring your loved one, right, Uh, if you have a will in place, you are honoring your loved one, and you are also taking out that anger part of the stage of grief. You're not necessarily taking it out, but you may minimize it. You minimize the anxiety and the anger part of it because we're no longer having to come together to make this terrible, uncontrolled, you know, situation better by saying, oh, let's pull the plug on grandma or let's pull the plug on mom or dad. We are going to come together to honor what they want us to do. Maybe they don't want to be on life support. Maybe they do. So this is actually something I actually do a lot in in therapy with um, some of my clients who are who are caring for aging people because it reduces the anxiety of having to take care of everything after the fact. Mm-hmm. That's good. Did I answer your question, caller?
0: Thank you. Yes. Awesome. Thank you <laughs>
2: um now you know what, and, and as you were saying it, I, I thought about something else to make um and I definitely want you to chime in on this too elder Shep. um I think, and I'm trying to figure out if this falls under I, I kind of think it does fall somewhere into either the um, the grief types um because. Sometimes I feel like we can be selfish. Um, we try to hold people, do everything we can to hold people here when the quality of life that they have is just um you can visually see it it's leaving them um, You can hear the actual person um mama, daddy, grandma. Whoever's saying to you, I'm tired and I'm ready to go. And you continue to, oh, I'm praying that, you know, you say, oh, it's going to be all right. You know, they, it's like you're doing everything to try to continuously hold them here instead of accepting the fact that they are tired and they're weary and they're ready to go. I mean, I don't, you understand the question, what what I'm trying to ask you? is, Does that fall in with a type of grief somewhere? Yeah, I think that falls in with the stage of denial. Um, mm-hmm. You, you, it, it's, it's anticipatory, but it's also denial, right? Because mm-hmm. just like you said, you, you know, you have that loved one, and you know they're aging, and so you, you are looking, you're looking at them aging. They've called hospice, in, but you, you're denying that they're, you know, that they're 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 not as well as they are. You know what I mean? And so right. there, there's that denial component, which is the stage. That that person is stuck in, and then the type of grief is the anticipatory uh, grief process, and it may be even absent because, and it's inhibited. It's it's that see that's like that onion. It's multi-layered. It's anticipatory because you're anticipating, you're expecting, but it's also absent grief because you haven't begun to actively begun the process of saying I'm going to have to deal with this. But then it's also inhibited because you're suppressing. Mm -hmm. What you actually are experiencing wow
1: mm. wow yeah.
2: that's that's so a fun.
1: lot
0: <laughs> you know
1: the uh one one of the things that I think that um is a factor in our community we have such systemic issues in our community, and there is some selfishness in our community um a lot of times because we're so economically void of of the economics and the education, we don't want to lose anything we don't mm-hmm. have much but we hold on to what we do have and we never really uh come to the understanding that there's a timeline where we with some things we have to let go and Because we're void in certain areas, we want to keep and hold on to everything. And I think that's the part that's a little selfish. And I think that selfishness selfishness comes from the systemic issues that our community faces and um, lack of education, lack of good jobs, all the above. Um, And it plays into how it manifests into how we make decisions about our life and the life of our loved ones.
2: Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. and the the lack of education part is very important, too, and I think that is also why I also try to drive home the point of having wills in place for, um,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
2: those caring for aging parents because a lot of people don't realize that, okay, so, you know, you have to pay for, like, the probate process, you know? So whatever little you could have kept for the family and divided it up as inheritance, you may be paying in probate. So it's like, you know, that education piece is also very important. And I mean I think for for Tyra, I think it's awesome that we are having these conversations because yes. just like you know, just like I said, it's like the onion. It has so many layers of things that we need to focus on and and kinda explore. And like Elder said, um, it goes back generations into our cultural experience of you know, our experience in this, you know, this nation is indicative of how we're going to process many different things in life, including grief mm-hmm. and those experiences. Yeah. Definitely. That's good. Um, Shamik, I have a question for you because I know we're coming coming to a, a closing time and I, I kind of we we've covered so much stuff. Um I I wanna leave the listeners um with some pointers. So I want you to give us some pointers on how to cope with grief. Okay. So, you know, I think the first thing you have to do is manage your expectations. You have mm. to have patience and uh, compassion, grace, and validation for yourself. Uh, you I sometimes will see people and they'll say, but this happened a year ago, and I said, well, you know, you just have to have a little bit more grace and continue to go through the process. You have to be patient. You have to be compassionate towards yourself. So we have to first begin within ourselves to manage our expectations of what we are doing through the grieving and how we're experiencing through the grieving process. Mm -hmm. Also, we have to accept that this is a natural process. Uh, like like you guys pointed out, sometimes people are holding on when all the signs are there. So we have to take a step back and accept that this is the natural process, and identify and accept what you cannot change, and and control. So you it's an acceptance process, and you got to take your time with that process. Um, one of the biggest things that you should not do is don't isolate yourself. Find support of people to connect with. Um, there are a number of people who have family members who unfortunately commit suicide. Uh, joining a suicide support group would be important. Reaching out to your church or having a ministry um, that deals specifically with grief. A church that I worked with um, at my time in Charleston, um, Mount Moriah Baptist Church, they actually have a grief ministry. And they help people through the grieving process. And I've worked with them for a number of months, close to a year, in helping them understand the grief process and to develop strategies for, um, for helping others and themselves through the grief process. So connecting with people to support is great. Um, plan how you're going to move forward. Don't just get stuck. Grief is like a wave. Sometimes it's going to knock you under. Sometimes you're going to be able to stand through the wave. But your goal in it all is if it knocks you down, you don't want to drown in it. And if you're supporting people, be mindful of what you say to them. Don't say, well, at least they live a long time. Say, well, I'll always remember that time they did this. Don't say, at least they're not suffering. Say, "Uh, I'll always remember that time he took us to play softball or, man, he could hit that softball so far. Don't say, oh, they're in a better place. I'm sorry for your loss. They will be missed. Let's be mindful of how we're communicating. Grief etiquette, and we will touch on that, too, in this month. Grief <laughs> etiquette. <laughs> Elder Shup, um you have something you want to contribute to, to that for um, um, giving some, some coping skills?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that sensitivity. You know, um, if you don't know better, how would you want to be treated? You know, mm-hmm. um, especially if you've experienced grief, um, you know, just being sensitive to the other person, where they are in the process. Uh, be careful. Uh, right. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. Be be observant. We've learned tonight that grief is not necessarily associated with death. You know, as we have friends and loved ones who are losing jobs through COVID, who have issues with paying bills, they're they're, they're in a grief process. And so we need to learn how to be sensitive to where our friends and loved ones, uh, what they may be experiencing and what they might be going through. And use this time to educate ourselves on how to respond to those that are in the process. Right,
2: right. That's really good. That's really good. Um, both of you guys have given us some really awesome things to, um, to close out this particular session for this week with. Um, I want to give each of you um, the last couple of seconds to um, let people know where they can find you. You want to put in a plug about, you know, the church, your counseling. Um, start with start with you, Elder Shep. Where, um, where could they, you know, find out more about your church or how could they listen, you know, hear from you?
1: Um, look us up on Facebook, New Refuge, mm-hmm. Ta- Re- New Refuge Tabernacle Church in Pawleys Island, South Carolina. Um, it's a small church. We're trying to do a community work. We're trying to bridge the gap. Um, with churches bringing churches together we're working on something called p i united paul's island united where we bring where we bring in churches together um, outside of church in the community and um to do community work so grab us on facebook new reference tabernacle church paul's island south carolina great
2: great great thank you Shamik
1: how can the listeners okay. reach out to you? <laughs>
2: Okay, so I have an office in downtown Columbia. Um, Right now, uh, we are in the phase of COVID where we are able to do telehealth. So pretty much if you're in the state of South Carolina, I'm licensed in South Carolina, so I can treat uh, just about anybody. I will say that uh, COVID has hit me upside of the head. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I do have a full caseload. However, if you need help, um, don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can reach me at 803-888-9058. Uh, that's my office number. If I don't answer, uh, you can leave a message and I will return the call. Um, or you can find me on the web. Um, you can find me at uh, www.cbcounseling.net or uh, Psychology Today. And you can reach out. If I cannot get you on my schedule, I do have some associates that work with me. I may be able to schedule you with them or find someone that can actually, you know, just meet the needs that you may have at the time. Um, I always put myself in a position of being a connector. Even if I cannot treat you, I'm going to give you multiple references uh, for people who can because I believe that uh, managing your mental health, it it goes up it goes along with the whole body right. wellness situation. If your mind is right, your body's right, everything will line up.
1: Amen. Amen. All
2: right. Well, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. Join in with us next Tuesday, six PM Eastern Standard Time as we continue to navigate through this segment of dealing with grief. Um, you can reach Pressure Points Unpacked. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Follow us. Um, send me a message if you have a topic that you may want us to talk about. And remember, you can always call in. Our call-in number is 914-205-5361. Again, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and I look forward to talking with you again next Tuesday.